As Tommy said earlier, this is the last Sunday of the year, a kind of a New Year's Eve for Christians. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the Christian year, the first Sunday of Advent. How do Christians mark this last day, though? By reminding ourselves and the world that Jesus Christ is the ruler of the cosmos, not just of the earth, the cosmos, the ruler of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords. There is no square inch of the created order, including the farthest corners of the unknown and the known, the universe or dimensions of time that he does not have authority over. If it were ever discovered that there are yet more universes and dimensions of time previously unknown to us. And if I go on here, I'm going to get nerdy, but I'm just going to say that part. Then we would confess that he is also Lord of those universes and dimensions. He is Lord of all and his redemption draws near even to those things that human beings may never discover or understand. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the one in and through whom all things were made that were made. Jesus Christ is Lord of us. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Thanks be to God. That's how we end the year. So it's essential that I set forth these terms for the sake of what follows, because what follows won't make much sense otherwise. Otherwise, it would take some deep digging to find good news in the gospel passage we've heard read. Three convicts being executed, Jesus among them centered. The other two, we are told, are criminals. All three are taken to Golgotha, the place of the skull. If you go there, you can see an outcropping of rock. It actually looks something like a skull, the sunken eyes, the shape of a face, a haunting stone visage. It was here that they crucify all three of them, iron, flesh, blood, bone, crimson. The cracking and writhing, the ceremony of innocence drowned, as Yeats would say. Just then, Jesus says the words forever engraved among his last. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Now, I invite us all to sink into this very crucial moment in history. It takes us into the the vortex, the swirling heart, and illuminates so much of what makes Christianity distinctive. Here is Jesus, only seconds after having nails driven through his wrists, serving as a cosmic priest, calling for mercy, for everyone's forgiveness. His plea to God reveals a signature element of his divinity, that he is so slow to anger and so abounding in steadfast love That even as he's being killed, he levels no curse or admonishment, only mercy.
This is a most revealing picture of the ruler of the cosmos. But because of my own narrow vision, as many times as I've read this passage, I've always assumed that Jesus meant to show forgiveness just to those who were digging the holes, driving the nails, tightening the ropes, hoisting the beams, that Jesus was asking forgiveness on behalf of those in closest proximity to him, those carrying out the orders, inflicting pain, drawing blood. Now, I disagree with myself because now I see something more expansive in the term them. Father, forgive them. Who is them? Them, it seems to me now, is all of them. Everyone present. Who's there? Who's them? Let's work our way out from the center. Gathered around Jesus are first the two criminals with him. Then there are those tools of law and order, bearers of the sword who act on orders to commit violence, the police, the soldiers, guards, executioners. There always seems to be someone willing to peer through the slot and agree to pull the switch, to take aim and fire, to tie the noose, and to find the sturdy branch. We also acknowledge the presence and absence of those who sent Jesus there, Pontius Pilate, Herod, and over all of them, Emperor Tiberius. But then, the text says, there are those standing by, watching. Father, forgive them. Forgive whom? Not only the most violent, but also those standing by, watching. The text takes me back to the late German pastor Martin Niemöller. You may be familiar with his famous quote. First they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. He was reflecting on his past sin of standing by, watching, as Nazis began persecuting select groups of people, especially Jews. Remember, the Nazis didn't start with gas chambers. They started with words, taking advantage of people frustrated with their broken lives, broken communities, broken government. Eventually, they did come for Niemöller and imprisoned him for eight years at Dachau, where he narrowly escaped execution. The quote that I read is actually inspired by a speech that he gave to the confessing church. Those were the Christians in Germany who said, Nine, this is not Jesus. We must not stand by watching. 
And he told the congregation, if we had said back then it is not right when Hermann Goring simply puts 100,000 communists in concentration camps in order to let them die, I can imagine that perhaps 30 or 40,000 Protestant Christians would have had their heads cut off. But I can also imagine that we would have rescued 30 to 40 million people because that is what it is costing us now. I remember having the, the haunting opportunity to go to Terezin. Terezin was a concentration camp of sorts. It, you can still go and, and survey uh, this site in Czech Republic. I went with a smaller group and we, we toured the facility. We walked through its hallways and entranceways and archways. Arbeit mock fry, work makes you free. The dormitories. This was not Auschwitz, it was not Dachau, it was more of like a, a propaganda operation. They, would take Jews there and make videos and show everyone how good their life was. In the meantime, 33,000 people died at Terezin. I remember walking around one part of the camp and seeing that there was grass growing on top of all the ridges of the buildings and the tunnels. And I asked the guide, why is there grass on top of everything? And he said, that's so that when the Allied planes would fly over it, all they would see were stone walls and outcroppings. The most striking moment to me was when I walked out into a courtyard with my group and we stood over a couple of crosses and looked at where the place was where people were executed. There was a wall and there was a gallows and there was a place to stand and be shot. And I looked down at my feet and there were two wooden crosses, one to my left and to my right. And I asked the tour guide, why are these crosses here? Why are these Christian memorials here? And he said, what, what crosses, what memorials? I said, these, the wooden crosses on the ground. He said, those are not crosses. Those are gun turrets. And as we left, it struck me even harder that we were in a, we were in a neighborhood. When you go out of the gate, you're in a neighborhood. You're in a town, a community. Father, forgive us, for we do not know what we are doing. After last week's sermon, I really didn't want to preach this text today. <laughs> I would have rather, rather preached on consider the lilies or something like that. But as we follow the end of the church year, I follow the text given to me. And, and this spoke to me amongst the other texts. It speaks to me now, today. The character in the text, other than Jesus, that speaks most forcefully to me is Dismas. I didn't know his name was Dismas until I began studying for the sermon and recognized that Christians had given the cross who, stood who was hanging beside Jesus a name as a reference. Dismas meaning a sunset or death. He's the good thief. 
I want us all to step into to Dismas's place. Because he's the only one who doesn't stand by. He stands with, even though it's against his will. What is he seeing across this landscape in this particular moment? As he hangs beside Jesus, he sees the crowds. He recognizes the futility of his own place and of Jesus's and the other thieves. He sees the anger in people's faces and the fear. He sees that there's nothing that can be done for him. He recognizes that something unjust has happened. He hears as the one on the other side of him, the bully, begins to condemn Jesus. And he speaks out. He speaks for the other thief. He speaks for himself. He speaks with a recognition that there is only one there who can save all of them. He sees the ugliness of everything. And when he speaks to Jesus, the only appeal he makes is an appeal that takes Jesus' kingship seriously. If we could see Jesus as Dismas does in our time or any time, then we see Jesus, this Jesus, in solidarity with those society deems to be the least and the lowest, seeing this Jesus as Lord will change everything for us. If our God would stoop this low to be crucified as criminal, then what is outside his jurisdiction of redemption? Who is beyond the reach of his salvation? You or me? Who has come under condemnation that Jesus cannot declare is paradise bound? No one. The good news today is that this Jesus is the one who reigns over all creation, all that was and is and ever shall be. He alone has authority to open the book of life and read the names written there. The powers of this present age should tremble before him because he is the one of whom the Lord speaks in Psalm 2. Ask and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall strike them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Today the good news is that this Jesus dashes the nation's violence to pieces and extends his mercy across all of the cosmos. In our own time, it is a great comfort to know that Jesus is Lord, that he is drawing all things to himself in God's own time in spite of the worst that any of us could ever do. Even in the harshness and the horror of the picture the Gospels give us today, even in the chaos of our own lives and the mayhem of the nations, we're able to be confident in the power of God whose merciful reign in Jesus Christ has only just begun. In the meantime, yes, there will be those who stand by. There will be those who stand with, asking, Dear Jesus, remember us when you come into your kingdom. 
and there will, still, there will be still more who walk in the confidence of knowing that when we ask 